Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, welcome to the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today I'm joined from all the way from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, the founder and the brewmaster of Roadhouse Brewing Company. Uh, Colby Cox is the founder, and Max Schaefer is the brewmaster. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. You're welcome. Good to be here. So before we get into important stuff, something has been driving me crazy, and you may not even have any idea what the answer is to this because I may have made it up in my head because Google has been useless. There was a movie or a comedy where they make a big deal about something happening or something about Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Do you have any clue what I'm talking about? Or did I make that up in my head? Um, well, I, I think I, I, I have a good idea of what you're, what you're maybe getting at is a, maybe a older movie. That's got a pretty, tall suave blonde dude in it it's possible what what movie i'd like i'm literally got a lot of people i literally all i remember is like some something i watched and i'm talking constantly about jackson Hole, wyoming and that's all i can remember and that's why i've been completely useless in trying to figure out what it was we get a lot of people who think we've got a tie to uh, and have a deep love for the uh, Patrick Swayze uh, movie, just simply titled Roadhouse. Oh uh, yeah, no, this is yeah, this is completely unrelated to Roadhouse. Just Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Like they and and I'm probably just making it up in my head. <laughs> I can't. I can't think of anything. Yeah. Damn it! I was hoping like from being there, like it was something more notable than. I mean, most likely I made it up. <laughs> it's like the basement of the Alamo. Yeah. <laughs> right, so one, uh, I'd normally t- start these out by getting a little bit of backstory about the founder of the brewery. So, um, Colby, what were you doing when it, that made you decide that you wanted to open a brewery? Um, well, uh, I worked at a brewery when I was young, 14. Um, I worked, uh, at Dogfish Head actually, um, when they were kind of in startup mode. And so I, uh, you know, kind of became enamored with, I mean, before that, um, you know, I had no idea, uh, that there was anything, um, like craft beer or difference between, you know, craft beer and, and macro beer or anything like that. So, um, that kind of, um, I guess wet my palate a little bit. And then, uh, kind of later on, you know, post-college, I got into homebrewing, um, pretty hardcore as I get into, um, spot anything I do. Um, so, you know, created basically a microbrewery in my garage, um, and was doing that for a few years and entering comps and um, somewhat reluctantly, um, a guy I was brewing with convinced me that we should start a brewery. Um, I was pretty against it because um, brewing beer was kind of a respite from, you know, my 
other world of work and chaos and things like that. And I didn't want to turn a hobby into a job. Um, but uh, I had two conditions that I was willing to do, you know, willing to, I guess, try it. One was uh, if we were going to start a brewery. Uh, we had to have food. We, you know, it had to be a brew pub of some kind. And the second was uh, I absolutely will not run a restaurant. So there were two kind of juxtaposed ideas. Um, and that led to me partnering with a guy who already owned a restaurant and putting a brewery in that restaurant, which is my partner, Gavin Fine. And um, that was the Roadhouse, uh, the Q Roadhouse restaurant, which is how we got our name, Roadhouse Brewing Company. So. Well, it's a good thing you met him then because those, those two goals are very um, definitely not cohesive with each other. <laughs> Yeah, correct. I mean, it was when I first told the guy I was brewing with, when I first told him, you know, I had two conditions, he kind of looked at me cross-eyed um, because he couldn't understand how we could serve food without running a restaurant. Um, but we figured we figured it out, um, and we made it, like, super complicated. Um, and eventually, you know, that was in 2012, Um and then we kind of unwound that com complexity um, as we got bigger and moved into our production facility in 2017 and um, started, you know, distributing in other states. We just, it, things got much simpler. It was just like, we're, you know, we're partners, just, you know, we're making beer, we own restaurants um, and, you know, we split everything down the That's pretty much, um, as simple as it gets, I guess. So did you grow up in Delaware? Yeah, I did. I was born in Southern Delaware. Um, so I kind of, uh, I was born in, in a town called Lewis, Delaware. Um, and my family is all from Milton, Delaware, which is um, where Dogfish Head is. Um, I stayed at a bed and so, breakfast in Lewis once. Yeah. It was a cool little town. Cool little cool little town for sure um it's uh, it's come a long way it used to be it's a um it used to have the largest fishery in the area so it's stunk like shit for um a long time and then when the fishery went away all of a sudden it became this thriving beach community yeah, i was gonna um, say it didn't stink when i was so, there thankfully <laughs> they got yeah. they got rid of the smell so how did you end up in Wyoming? Those are not uh, ge geographically similar places. No, you know, it's funny. They're not, but in some way, they're definitely not geographically similar. But um, I would say in terms of character, they're very similar. Um, so, you know, Delaware is kind of, you know, it's the first state. Um, it has a very kind of um, righteous um, entrepreneurial, um, you know, almost libertarian mindset, um, you know, kind of, it just, it's, it gets beat up often because it's so tiny, um, you know, and, and, but the truth is that Delaware has a rich history of, you know, from the American, you know, uh, revolution and, um, you know, did amazing things in terms of, um, you know, influencing the outcome of, um, you know, way back in the early days. And then you've got Wyoming, which is very sparsely populated, also very similar in terms of, you know, you know, self-made people, 
who, you know, come out here and kind of made their way with, you know, all kinds of difficult situation. Um, they figured out a way to make it work. And, you know, there's 500,000 people in Delaware. Um, nobody respects either one of them, um, you know, because they're not, you know, California or New York or Illinois. And um, so honestly, there's there's a lot of similarity there. I came to Wyoming to answer your question um, because um, I was traveling a lot for work um, for my other job. And uh, this is before I started a brewery. And in Delaware, uh, the closest airport is two and a half hours away. And so um, it was a major pain in the ass to you know, get from point A to point B. And I figured, listen, if I'm going to, you know, if I could live anywhere, it just has to be near an airport. And I'm just going to pick the place that kind of best suits my lifestyle. Um, and at the time I was into hunting and fishing and um, backpacking and what have you. And so I was like, let's try Jack. I had a good friend here um, who was playing uh, minor league ice hockey with my roommate in college, uh, the Jackson Hole Moose. Uh, he encouraged me to come out and stay with him and we went fishing and I fell in love with it. Um, he's actually um, a pretty iconic person now. Put him on one of our cans. Um, his name is uh, Joe Casey. Um, so he's no longer with us, unfortunately, but um, he uh, he's kind of the mascot behind our beer, the Highwayman. Okay. Um, and we actually, have, yeah, we own his truck. It's kind of sitting out in front of our brewery. Um so, uh, so anyway, he convinced me to come out. I fell in love. I thought I was going to be here for a year or two, like everybody else. And <laughs> it's been 15, 16 years now. It's funny how that happens. Um, so what were you, uh, what was your job that you, you wanted to get out of to start a brewery? Uh, could you repeat the question? Yeah. Sorry. What 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 were you doing whenever you started the brewery? What what was your job previous? Oh, so I've been in uh, I've been in real estate private equity for eighteen years. Okay. Um, you know is you know has nothing to do with making beer. That is, um, that's one of but, the um one of the semi common previous lives though for uh brewery founders like I, I guess you could lump that kind of into the finance and investor realm because it's like the f invest uh, finance um information technology and uh engineers those are seem to be like the three most common previous careers of people who start breweries at least from everyone i've talked to yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, um, you know, so the, I still I still run my private equity company. It's a, um, you know, it's it's a thriving organization. Um, and I, uh, you know, I deal in extremely complex, um, like deal, deal structures. You know, we, we develop um, large master plan communities, like, for example, in San Antonio, Texas, you know, got a large master plan community down there that'll be a 15-year project um, and what that uh, the translation of kind of that um, complexity into you know I guess the 
the world of running a brewery has been extremely helpful. Um, you know, not only from a, you know, understanding the world of finance, you know, and having a lot of kind of deep experience in that world, but also, and, and I would say vice versa. I mean, you know, a lot of what I've been able to do in the brewing world, um, I've brought a lot of skills over into, um, into private equity, for example, branding and marketing. Um, uh, that has been, you know, we now, um, a lot of the branding and marketing experience that I've got in the brewery has been something I've been able to apply in, in my other world. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, uh, they're very different businesses, um, but a lot of transferable skills. That's what I, I've noticed too, like, because I feel like some people, when they don't know completely what they're getting themselves into when they open a brewery, don't realize those aspects of running a brewery and how important that's going to be like that. It's way more than just brewing beer. There's that whole business side of it that maybe isn't as glamorous when you first start thinking about opening a brewery, but is essential to being successful and growing. So when, um, when you opened as a, a brew pub, how, um, how large of a brew house did you start out with? Well, can I can I comment on your previous what you just said? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Sorry, I just transitioned yeah, so, in because I thought you froze up for a second. So I figured I'd just move on to the next question to make it seamless. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem. Um, so I find I find that there are two misdirected. Um, types of business models in craft beer that I've come across. Um, one is kind of the, the savvy business-minded person who thinks that they can get into craft beer because it's like any other business, and if they just apply kind of their this acumen into that world, they'll be successful. The other is the kind of you know the personality that you described: somebody who has a real passion for craft beer. Um, thinks that because they have this deep passion that everybody else will celebrate that passion with them. They don't have the, say, raw skills and business and finance and everything else, and they struggle. I think what's made Roadhouse successful um, is kind of a, a, a good um, uh, kind of collaboration of those two things. So um, for Speaking for myself personally, you know, I do have this um, background in business and finance and, um, and, you know, even some legal work and what have you. And so I have this kind of whole area, um, but I have this real true passion for craft beer that comes from like, you know, growing up around it and everything else. And so um, I, I think that if I didn't have one, you know, if I was a little less deficient in either one of those, I think... Um, I, you know, I personally may not be able to add as much value to Roadhouse as I do. And then I think by extension, the people that we surround ourselves with, you know, I mean, Max, you know, sitting to my right here, you know, bringing a, just a tremendous, you know, I'd say the key um, skill sets are like, okay, this like amazing passion and creativity for craft, but also this deep understanding of production and efficiency and, and you know, kind of. You know, almost the engineering side of the business. Um, and so like everybody has these kind of dual competencies, you know, that's what we're really looking for in people as they, um, 
candidates of Roadhouse. You know, I, I mentioned that only because, um, you know, I think there's a lot of misguided uh, people out there. You know, I'll just call it your cliche lawyer who decides to start a brewery. Um, who's just like, oh, you know, I, you know, I know how to put all the startup documents together. So why not open a brewery? You know, it's just, and then you go in there and the beer tastes like shit. And I'm not trying to, you know, <laughs> you know, cut anybody down, but it's, you know, it's happening out there. Well, yeah. Um, and I and, think you can definitely tell when that, cause one, the brewery rarely has a personality. Like the, the brewery, it's uh, like the, the business itself seems almost sterile because there's someone behind it that's in it's just for money and not for the passion of ha- behind the beer that it's they they just looked at it as here's a really pop here's a really popular segment that I need to get into to try to cash in on so i think where you at that added passion also if that's not there i mean you could still be successful but there's definitely there's a very big difference between breweries that run purely by businessmen that looked at as a way to make money and as ones that were passionate about opening a brewery. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, and I, you know, I, I hope that people, um, listen, I, I, am with you. I feel that when I walk into other breweries, when I get that sense that they have a passion for their products and I see that they're running their, business tight i you know it's almost instant respect um and so um anyway i think that's an important distinction you know in a world of seven thousand breweries right now um unfortunately there's you know not a lot of breweries that kind of meet that standard um and we've got plenty of room for more but um back to your original question how big was our brew pub is that yeah well actually let's um let's take one real quick uh sponsor break and then um we can dive into the opening of when it was the brew pub before the production area and um how how things were then uh so we will be right back Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday? Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so when um, you originally started, it started as as a brew pub. Um, What size system did you start out with? 
uh, we had a seven barrel and uh, I think we had like three seven barrel fermenters and like one or two 14 barrels. Might so, have even been like a, a 21 in there. So oh yeah, that's right. It's a great learning, learning uh, point. Like people are always like, yeah, we're gonna have five barrel brews. We're going to brew in the 15 barrel tanks. Like, ah, oh, you don't want to do triple brew days. Yeah. <laughs> Were you were you there from the beginning, Max? I was not. Uh, I came on in uh, June of 2017, right okay. when we were opening up the big production brewery. But I did get a Colby and I got a, a good handful, maybe a couple dozen brew days together in the, in the original brewery because we had closed that restaurant and the brewery kind of all together, but still use it as our pilot system while we were developing a lot of the newer recipes that we've started brewing uh, at the Gregory Brewery. So we, we, I got to brew. There's an awesome little brew house. It was really sad to, I was tasked with loading it all up onto trucks. And unfortunately nobody bought it as like a full kit. It was one of these beautiful Newlands copper clad systems. I mean, it was a gorgeous little pub uh, system. The, it, the, um, prototypical, uh, brew pub. So it looks pretty. Was it behind a glass glass wall? So you could see it. Yep. Yes. What it was, uh, um, it was an old billiard room, actually. Um, so they had a pool table in there. And, you know, I, you know, in the whole, like, you know, serve food but don't own a restaurant conversation, I tapped Gavin Fine on the shoulder and said, that pool table's not doing shit for your restaurant. Um, <laughs> let's, let's rip that out and put a brewery in. Let's put something um, much more useful in its place. Yeah. For a while, I don't. I mean, like the cue ball was missing for weeks on end, or you know, like you know, there'd be like two solids and a stripe missing out of it. And you're like, all right, well, <laughs> pull it out, you know, for a second round. You got to hit the, you know, the four in twice. And... Cigarette butt shoved in one of the pockets. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you, Colby? Did you do some of the brewing early on, or did you hire a brewer right off the bat? Yeah, so Adam Chenault was our um, original brewer, great guy, um, and uh, he's he was the person I was referring to when I said, you know, um, I was home brewing and somebody was kind of pulling on my coattails to start a brewery. Um, so he was our original brewer, and uh, uh, but I did sub in, um, you know, I wouldn't say a lot, but I would say. You know, I had a lot of recipes that I wanted to brew, um, and so I would find time in the production schedule to get in there and brew some beer. Um, and I'd like to say that I, um, you know, we still have that kind of system set up at Roadhouse, um, but it's been a while since I've been able to get in and make a beer. Um, although, story for maybe later on in the podcast, you know, Max burned the shit out of his hand a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh, no. I am. I was given the option of coming in and brewing at the brew pub for like four or five days straight. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you know, I had other things to do, but uh, yeah, I, I brewed quite a, I brewed quite a bit back then. Um, so, and that system was so simple and functional. Um, you know, I kind of miss it. You know, we even our uh, pilot system, you know, in our new restaurant, 
I mean, it's pretty damn sophisticated. Like it's, you know, you, you got to know how to work a computer to make everything function to some extent. So it's a full, fully automated one. Can you control it from your phone? Because I find that amazing that some places can actually like kick off brewing from their phones. That our, our production plant is like that. It, it was pretty dreamy, pretty early on in the uh, in in getting that brewery going. It was myself and one of our other brewers who still brews with us, and we were bottling, kegging, brewing, dry hopping, everything. So I, I have about a forty-five minute commute to the brewery every day, and I could just get up in the morning and start milling in or mashing in or doing something. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was, that was, that's it, still pretty sweet. And uh, we, we can always go back and check on each other too. And, you know, if one of the guys is having a problem with like an, an overnight brew or, or something, we can just kind of get on a phone or an iPad, a computer, whatever, and be like, oh, I see what you're doing. Like you, <laughs> you totally fucked that up. Like, like don't figure it out because I see it immediately. Or, you know, it, our, our that big brew house is German manufactured. It's a it's a thirty barrel Braucon, and the Germans just will tap into it and run some diagnostics on pumps and stuff. It's it's unbelievable. It, it's unbelievable. Gives me great respect for people who brewed on, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago with like a fire. Yeah. <laughs> what well, the, there's um there there's a local brewery here <clears throat> with um. The guy started at, uh, I think his first brewing job was at Flying Dog. And Flying Dog has a really large system, but it's only semi-automated. It's the, like it's not a full like control panel, but there are, like you can manually activate celluloids and stuff. And then he went to work at Trogues, which I, they probably, do they send out the, are you familiar with Trogues? I don't know how far their reach is, but so oh, yeah, yeah. Trogues, I think is a browcom, so it may be very similar to what it where it's like fully automated. You basically load a recipe and click run, and it does it. And then when he opened his own brewery, it was a hundred percent manual. And he was like, "Some days I just long for <laughs> being able to push a button." <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. So that's a sure. that's a pretty big uh, bump up from seven barrels to 30 barrels plus it sounds like so you have the production and then you have a small system at the so you have a production facility and a brew pub um yes we actually moved um uh brew pub to the town uh square jackson town square um in 2019 and we put in a new um three barrel five five barrel system um, and it's pretty sweet. It's also encased in glass. And, um, I mean, they have to be, <laughs> yeah, it's a 300 seat restaurant. You just, our executive chef always makes fun of us. Just, you know, I always want to do like an aquarium day. Cause you're just in this like big glass room and have a snorkel and you just look like you're in this giant, you know, you're in the fishbowl. And I, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of brewers can res- you know, feel my, the pains of that. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's watching. So do um do you use that <laughs> do you use that system for um just feeding beer to the brew pub or is that kind of where you go and play and figure out uh to do your R&D on Um it's it's a little bit of both. Uh that restaurant's got uh 30 tap handles and so we we supply about anywhere at any given time 
eight to 12 of our mainstays and our cores from the production brewery up to there. Um, there's some weird laws in the state of Wyoming too that actually prevent us from allowing any of the beer we produce in that facility to leave other than in a crowler. Um, so like we can't even transfer kegs from that location to ourselves on our production plant um, and serve them out of that tap room. Um, so everything there is made there and stays there. And, and there's, there's weird stuff in there. We've been brewing some pretty crazy things, some jalapeno cucumber Kolsch that our executive chef really wanted to make. We, um, you know, we're, we're part of the hop quality group and the hop research council. So we, we're constantly working on a bunch of stuff for Oregon state university and, and hop trials and experimental varietals. And uh, last week I just kegged up a, a new hop that, um, as far as I'm aware, we're the only brewery right now in the world to have brewed with this hop. It, it came out of the Idaho, um, commission, uh, Idaho hop grower commission plot, experimental plot. And they asked us to brew it because they only got a handful of pounds of it. Um, so we, we do things like that or, uh, or yeah, we, we tweak recipes and methods to figure out how to make a more stable hazy IPA or, you know, is, is, is you know, changing our whirlpool temperatures. And then by the time we, we prove it on that system, we'll, we'll move it over to the bigger brewery and, and try and implement things we learn there. I tell, you know, anyone is welcome to brew up there. And my number one goal is that people learn something you know and that could be anyone on our wait staff and they're just learning what how to brew and what the brewing process is or if one of our brewers goes in there it's like you're gonna make a hazy ipa great like let's not do it with oats let's try and figure out a different way to bring in some haze let's learn something out of it so um we try we try and make it useful no matter what and, and we've been pretty good uh, up there we've, we've only dumped one or two batches and it's honestly because the glycol has failed on us so we just have like wild fermentation oh, okay. that didn't work so we we were batting pretty good in there <laughs> do you like idaho seven i do i hate lot. that hop so much <laughs> <laughs> i do like that hop um i've known nate the grower of uh, nate jackson the grower of idaho seven for for many many years now and it took me a while to figure out and well, I you let him know up. that it's a garbage hop <laughs> 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 actually it's it i um I, I kind of gone back on my stance of that because it's I hate whenever it's done as like the the marquee hop or a single hop or something. I don't think it works well by itself. But when it's it's done in a blend, it's way better. But I, big time. We found it's gotta be a really late addition. Dry hop or a yeah. cooler whirlpool. Otherwise it gets some weird black tea and some other herbal things. But yeah, I'm not I typically um, profess my hatred of of Idaho Seven. <laughs> maybe, maybe not mention that to him. Although I'm sure he does not care because there's a lot of people using that hop. <laughs> oh yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how many people are. Yeah, it's kind of um, like become the new hot thing. Like it was a couple of years ago. It was like. Yeah, nobody was using it. Yeah, when it was, it was always listed We're as like this new something. new experimental hop, Idaho Seven. Yeah, yeah. And I think that may but, have just been the problem. Is I tried so many on before brewers learned how to use it well, and then so I just had a lot of bad beers made with it early on. There's no room for bad beer. Fortunately, there's definitely uh, there's definitely some of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So Max, how long have you been brewing? Uh, I've been uh, brewing professionally since uh, right around 2012 or so. So, you know, it'd be about actually probably about nine years uh, next month or so. Where, where were you before um, Roadhouse? Um, like probably like most brewers, like in my very beginning, I was in my parents' kitchen making a huge mess with malt <laughs> and <bread. laughs> Um, and then, uh, my first professional entry into brewing, um, was another brewery here locally called Grand Teton Brewing, which is on the other side of the Teton mountain range from Jackson, uh, and Victor and Driggs, Idaho, which is, it's kind of like our bedroom community of Jackson. Um, and so I, I still live over on that side and I brewed there for, uh, about five, almost six years or so. Um, and I did a little stint uh, at Siebel as well, um, halfway through my time there. Um, the brewmaster and, and, and mentor of mine, a guy named Rob Mullen, um, I think when he hired me, he had been brewing just about as long as I'd been alive. Um, and he learned from some great guys and uh, learned to brew from some great guys back in the East Coast. And, and he, I told him I wanted to keep learning how to brew. And uh, I think at one point I told him I wanted his job and, and at one point I got his job, but uh, one of his big things he told me was like, spend some time brewing from him or brewing under him and, and learning from him and then then take uh, take the next step and go to Siebel, which is one of the best pieces of advice I was, I've ever been given uh, was like learn everything I could and then and then go, you know, take what I'd learned and, and continue to grow on that at Siebel. Um, and it was probably about a year and a half after I finished the Siebel program that um, I was approached by Colby and, and Gavin and uh, Jody Valenta is our president and COO and, and the three of them, the three of them asked me to come over to check out this brewery they were building. And I remember halfway through Gavin was like, you know, this is a job interview, right? It's like, yeah, I got, I got, I got that. <laughs> at some point. And um, it was, it was really cool. And, and like right out of the gate, the, the passion and, and just what was built already when I started, it was like, yeah, these, these people aren't fucking around right now. Like they're, they're really going big. You know, it's pretty cool to see a 30 barrel Browcon sitting in, in a, an industrial park and watch Jackson, Wyoming. And you're like, hmm, don't see that every day. So something <laughs> pretty cool. So, um, uh, another question I always ask people and I can ask both of you, how did your first, uh, homebrew turn out max you first? <laughs> My first homebrew was absolutely awful, just atrocious. <laughs> um, it was a kit. I, it was a, a college girlfriend of mine gave me a homebrew kit at some point in my junior year, probably of college. Um, my, my undergrad degree is in a discipline of biology, so I love, love the science behind it. And I love, I love to cook, too, which is like, was ultimately my draw to, to homebrewing. And I was like, well, this can't be. I'm a scientist. <laughs> I cook. Like, I can do this. And I, I remember sitting there. I, I could like walk back to my parents' kitchen in this place where I deliberated with my girlfriend at the time. I was like, I, 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 my first homebrew can't be this kit you got me. Like, we should do something simpler. And I don't even remember what it was. It was like a, an American wheat or something. And we brewed it, and it was just, it was so bad. I was like, God, this is not going to work. And then like two or three into it, I, but you drank it, but we drank it. We definitely <laughs> drank it. <laughs> uh, two or three into it. They finally got a little bit better. Um, probably was like my third batch of homebrew. It was like a, 
like an 11% Belgian triple, which was just fantastic. And now that I've been brewing long enough, I, I think I realized it was probably good because it was all the flaws were totally covered up by the esters and the phenols from this just raging Belgian ferment that occurred in my parents' basement. <laughs> so I think it was probably hiding a ton of major flaws, but I still actually have a bottle or two in my house because it's cellared really well. It's such a big beer. So I don't know if I'll ever drink them because it was, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. But Yeah. What about you, Colby? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had a better story, but my, I went straight for an IPA um, and it got infected and tasted like shit. So, but I drank it anyway. I never forget, like, <laughs> bringing these, um, you know, those, like, Grolsch bottles. Yeah. Oh, the like little flip tops? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brought a bunch of those into the office, and, like, I hadn't even tried it yet. And I was like, oh, let's, you know, let's sit down and drink, you know, try my home, you know, my first homebrew or whatever. And, like, first couple sips, everybody's, you know, kind of, like, pretending like it doesn't taste terrible, you know? Like, <laughs> Um, and then finally, I, I don't know whether it was me or somebody else was just like, you know, this ain't right, you know, <laughs> <laughs> why are you doing this to us? Yeah. So I got, I got better, um, pretty quick. I, you know, I, I learned very fast that like sterilization and, you know, you know, just some basic stuff was pretty mission critical. Um, and so, you know, when you, you know, you think about it, like everybody I've talked to, I mean, I haven't heard one person, honestly, that told me that, you know, the first batch of beer they made was fucking fantastic. Like, I've, I've, had never... a I've had a couple people tell me that and I tell them I don't believe them. Yeah, Unless, exactly. <laughs> although like, some of them though, it was because they were brewing with like their first time brewing was with someone who had been mm. home brewing for a long time. So there was someone there to show them the ropes. Like, so I buy sure. that, but like the yeah. people who claim that it turned out great the first time. Like, I don't believe them. I feel like you're forgetting about your true first time. <laughs> and you know, what's funny about it is you, you know, you think about it, like it shouldn't be that hard, you know, like yeah. you should be able to, like, you would think that like, you just, you know, fucking Google some basic shit. You know? like, nobody, nobody's walked out of their local homebrew shop with a with a plastic bucket and is like, yeah. "I'm gonna nail this." Like, it exactly does. You know, you're like, "What am I doing?" Well, I think a lot of it is like where you said the sanitation part of it. Like, it, mm -hmm. like it until you mess it up, like you're it. You don't realize that there's clean and then they're sanitized. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny is those rules bend even after you've been brewing for a while. So like you get away with a little bit, you're like, Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't spend three hours fucking prepping shit this time. I did it in an hour and a half and I got away with it and the beer tasted great. So maybe I'll just do that next time. And then you keep pushing the limits and then all of a sudden, boom, you blow a beer and you're like, fuck, I got to go back to the basics again. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> the things I've done in a commercial brewery would make most like home brewers probably like like their skin would just completely roll up on itself. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, now I look, I laugh myself. I'm like, mm -hmm. what if I did this when I was at home brewing? I would have like, I would have cried myself to sleep. Like I wasted my whole Saturday and like, <laughs> yeah, we're at the, you know, we, there's there's too many mistakes I've made. Or like, <laughs> yeah, just get in your own head. Yeah. 
but it's good practice because um you know the process of brewing especially at a home brewer level and following a script and being like methodical about each particular phase of the process and there's nothing better than kind of getting to the end of the process getting into a tank you know oxygenating it like sealing everything up and being done and being like i fucking nailed that like everything went well you know my fucking you know sparge went great which is usually where you know some shit can get screwed up like in the homebrew process like everything went great and it's like the best feeling in the world or you can have one of those days where you are just fucking wrestling that goddamn thing <laughs> the whole time and by the time you finally sit down in the chair and drink a beer afterwards you feel like somebody kicked your ass up and down the street so there are many reasons why i've chosen district east for where i purchase beer I love the flexibility of being able to make a custom six-pack or take home a crowler from one of the eight beers on tap. Their friendly and knowledgeable staff do an amazing job at keeping a diverse selection on hand. You can even purchase artwork from the monthly featured artist. District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beer lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to McClintockDistilling.com for more information. So was it hard for you guys to scale up when you went from 7-barrel to 30-barrel um, and actually it seems, sounds like the, you probably, the efficiencies of the systems were probably very different also. Was that, a, a a lot of tinkering you had to do to, or did you just figure like the beer's going to taste what it tastes like at the new place? Or did you try to match to how it was previously? You want to answer from like a yeah brewery perspective and i have an answer from a business perspective <laughs> yeah, from, uh, from the brewing perspective i mean we went from you know like a really beautiful system down at the at the, at the queue the original brewery and uh a different water source which was a really tough one you know we obviously went to some pretty big automation um and, and we knew the efficiencies were going to be way different going to you know one of the most premier german brew house manufacturers uh, in a 30 barrel system. And I remember, you know, and we're all homebrewers at heart too, right? We, we, we've very clearly established that. And so, I, and we, I remember brewing our flagship IPA Wilson 
uh, as our first turn on the 30 barrel, which was only fitting. And I remember uh, Mikey, who's one of our brewers, he started weighing out a bag of, of some malt. And I was like, I was like this is, no, uh, this is the first thing I'm going to cut. The whole bag or not the bag? Like, no way are we going to be weighing <laughs> 20 pounds of something to go into a 30-barrel batch. Like, if we want it, the whole bag goes. Like, we're going to thank ourselves later. We're going to thank ourselves at the end of every month when we're trying to reconcile inventory to, like, the, you know, a tenth yeah. of a pound and something. So, um it, it it got easier and we we worked through some some hiccups we we grossly underestimated the efficiency of a very modern brew house and we ended up brewing wilson which is about seven and a half percent ipa and i think the first batch came out at like 8.8 percent <laughs> uh, like way ever shot our og we we ended up having to dry hop it differently just so we didn't confuse people and, and i remember we that was a, a pretty good learning moment for us as well and um so it, it, it wasn't awful um, to start. It was a great challenge. It was probably one of the challenges I was most excited about because um, a lot of these recipes were a lot of the recipes Colby had been had been brewing in his his microbrewery in the garage, and it was pretty fun to like see them and, and work through memories of Colby and Colby's friends and family and be like, wow, this this is what I remember of this beer being like. And it was cool to then have a state of the art place to be like, we can do this. And um, so it. it it took it took a I'd say ooh, five or six weeks or so to like and we were doing a couple turns a day just or a week I mean just to try and figure some things out so all in all wasn't wasn't awful it was a lot of fun and uh, now we've really got it dialed. What's yeah. the What's the business answer? Well, I mean, Dad, what Max said, I'll say it would have been a nightmare if you know, he, he weren't the one doing it. Um, that's not just blowing smoke. I mean, if you know, if, yeah, it would have, it, it, it could have been much worse. Um, <laughs> so, uh, from a business perspective, I'll say, you know, we just speaking personally, we underestimated, um, kind of the, uh, economies of scale, the thresholds that kind of got us to like break even in profitability. Um, and how those kind of, um, those thresholds would kind of move and shift as we um, incorporated new technology or expanded, um, you know. So when we first opened, we were bottling all our products, um, for example. And then we went to bottles and cans, and then we went can only. Um, and each time we made one of those transitions, it kind of changed, um, you know, those inputs kind of changed on in one area and and the efficiencies you know in terms of you know how much beer we're getting from bright tank to can and um from can into package and all of that stuff and so there was just we had it was a very difficult time for us because we had so many variables that were changing at the same time as we were trying to improve our process um and create a more marketable product to the consumer um so it was hard to know um, exactly what knobs to turn um, in order to kind of find the most efficient spot to be because there were so many knobs being turned at the same time. You know, so, you know, we'd go from, you know, brewing into 60 barrel tanks to brewing into 120 barrel tanks. And that started to change um, some of the outputs, you know. Um, then that shifted the labor schedule 
substantially, you know, and we were how many brews we were doing per day. And um, we would be doing that at the same time that we'd be, you know, switching up the, you know, uh, into a can, you know, going from bottles to cans. And, you know, we were doing, uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's been all over the map. And so it's been a very, it's like, you know, nailing jello to a wall um, <laughs> at one point to try to figure out like, okay, if, you know, if A equals B, if D equals C, then, you know, here's the profitability point. So we, it just required a tremendous amount of patience. Um, and honestly, I, I wish I could tell you that it took weeks or months, um, but it's taken us years um, to get to the point where it's like, okay, we kind of understand um, our costs of goods. We understand our costs of labor. We understand what what products um, have, you know, produce which margins um, and, you know, kind of, you know, what the what the net margin on the shelf is for a set product and what we should expect. And then when all of that is said and done, what does it take us to actually earn a dollar at the end of the day? Um, As a businessman, that had to drive you insane. Yeah. Because I'm guessing in your other business, um, those figuring those things out are probably a lot more cut and dry. That like, yeah, to, I mean, certainly more. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that was that was the end. Yeah, yeah. So certainly more. Um, I had a lot more experience with other businesses. So um, I think the thing that drove me crazy during that period of time. Um, well, let me put it this way. The reason I didn't go crazy is because I took the need to know hat off and the hat I put on was, okay, this, we have a long-term goal here of creating great craft beer, um, regionally distributed in the United States, um, which to us means, you know, that we want to be a 35 to 50,000 barrel brewery. And that will satisfy kind of our regional market. Um, and so, you know, don't get caught up in the small stuff, you know, focus on the end game and, you know, essentially learn from our mistakes, but know that they're going to happen and be okay with it when they do just try not to repeat the same ones. And that was kind of, um, that was the mentality that both Gavin and I and Jody and Max um, all kind of had to adopt. Um, believe me, we you know there have been times where I was at home ripping my hair out, um, <laughs> you know. But now we're at a point where I mean we still have a long way to go. I mean we still we're still learning a lot, um, but we've learned so much. You know the the intelligence that we have at our organization. I. Um, and I want to throw a plug in and say, you know, we're a certified B corporation. You know, a lot of our employees are shareholders. Um, so there, you know, there's a bigger kind of, you know, there, there's more at stake here in kind of what we're doing than just, you know, my interests or Gavin's interests. Um, so anyway, though, you know, I think we try to keep our focus long term. Um, which requires us to be creative financially sometimes. And <laughs> uh, that that um, that time period and that experience, I think that probably plays a lot into what we were saying earlier about that people who uh, open a brewery just for the money or just as a business without the passion. 
that it mm. would make it much harder to go through those times of uncertainty and trying to figure out like the where the target is and everything when you don't have that passion behind what you're doing too and it, where it's just numbers yep yeah i think you die i think you lose your interest in this business quite quickly um <laughs> you know and i think you see that um sometimes i mean you see these breweries pop up and they're um you know, they're kind of driven based on their location. It's like the corner of Maine and Maine and it's a brew pub and, you know, they've got, you know, B plus food and C minus beer. And, you know, it's going to work for about a year until, you know, the customers realize that there's better food and beer somewhere else. And, um, and then the investors are going to be looking at each other and saying, well, if we want this to work, we have to invest in, a good brewer and good equipment and we've got to overhaul our menu and we need a great chef and that's going to cost us a million dollars and that's when the moment of truth comes and it's like fuck yeah. this cut, let's cut our losses <laughs> <laughs> um though speaking of the beer itself this beer is great the let's see it gets there we go the walrus yeah. Um, cool. one, the can's awesome. Um, but the, the beer itself is really good. That's what I've been sipping on the whole episode so far. It's nice, man. such a good beer. I'm drinking a trout whistle. Um, and I would glad, you know, gladly drink somebody else's beer, but, um, this is what we have. So <laughs> does, um, does the walrus have a name? Oh, like the actual walrus yeah. itself? Yeah. Ooh. No, I don't. I don't think it does. Well, we've kind of joked around about it, um, you know, because it kind of goes back to, you know, John Lennon, kind of, you know, the walrus is Paul. Like, um, you know, there's also a bunch of fish references in there. Um, it, you know, goes, you know, whatever. There's like two or three different fish references that go in the way. So it's all this stuff. People keep asking me what it is. Um, and here's, I guess what I'll say. It's no one person. It's an ideal. Um, so have there been times that it's been max? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but he has to earn that every day. <laughs> so does, uh, so max grunts growls and barks <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> some days you never know <laughs> he's a it's a very dignified looking walrus it is the monocle really sets him apart <laughs> and, and the pipe i mean it's not it's not every day you see well in, in anyone let alone a walrus be uh smoking a pipe and blowing such perfect smoke rings yeah. out of the pipe i yeah. mean that's some control <laughs> We have uh, we had an artist draw the walrus on the way to the bathroom in our restaurant, and she did some freelance work and stuffed his pipe with just a bunch of like bright green. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I saw um, that fish is a big part of your story. Uh, it's part of the Venn diagram of. Uh, mm -hmm the starting so i'm assuming uh you and 
are, are, is it you that's the fish fan or uh, everyone? You know, it's it. So it actually gets so when Roadhouse was started, it was um, Adam Chenault and I were both massive fish fans um, and continue to be to this day. Um, and then an assistant kind of brewer came on board named Neil Albert, um, who was with us for a long time. He ended up going into sales and um, he's no longer with Roadhouse, although he's still a great friend. Um, and then it kind of trickled down to there. We've got a we've got a brewer at Roadhouse, uh, Mike, who's you know a huge fish fan, and and then you know so they come they come out of the woodwork over the years. It's this common thread of, um, but it all originally started with um, Adam and I being fish fans, and um, yeah, and then and that just influenced a lot of um, like I kind of geek out on some of the branding around our beers. And I get a lot of inspiration um, from fish because I listen to a lot of fish when I'm thinking about branding and what I want to, you know, put on the next beer, whatever's coming. And but I also get a lot of inspiration from, you know, there's I've weaved a few other a lot of other groups into our product over the years from, you know, Pink Floyd to Led Zeppelin to um, Rage Against the Machine, uh, Nirvana, you know, you can tell when I was born. So, <laughs> I uh, my wife's a teacher, um, and she was walking past one of her students. At they had a Nirvana lyric written on their notebook, and she was and she was like, "Oh, uh, Kurt Cobain," and she's like, "You know about Nirvana?" And my wife was like, "Yeah, I listened to him when he was alive." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's a, uh, my wife and I, our first dance was to waste at our wedding. Oh, sweet. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, I've done a lot. I, I go I go to fish concerts a lot of times by myself. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I, you know, I, I'll, I'll do like a three-day fish run in like Indiana, like I'm doing it this summer, like by myself. And I'll just go and I won't tell anybody I'm going. I don't want to meet up with any friends. I don't want to, I just want to go kind of like get into some like zone time. And it's like this amazing experience for me to just kind of tap into my creativity and like, um, you know, I can sit there and I come up with a million ideas about what I want to do next and business what i want to do next at the brewery what products i want to you know like what what's the next label look like on the next you know and then you know why am why am i such a shitty father i mean you know like <laughs> whatever you want to you know and, and then i have that same days, thought like, often too it happens yeah. often right after my daughter has told me i'm the worst father <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when she's going on one of her five-year-old rants because i wouldn't let her have like a piece of candy or something <laughs> They're rough, man. <laughs> They're rough. So anyway, it's just become this kind of uh, like mini, you know, rite of passage every once in a while that I try to throw into my life. And that's why it ends up being on a bunch of our stuff. Um, so. You've you've mentioned branding a few times now. Um, I, I really like uh, 
the your branding. It's very clean, uh, uncluttered, and like that's my favorite type. Of, like I'm an, I'm an Apple fan, um, mm-hmm. so I like clean, crisp designs and. In, uh, so where did the logo come from? Is it just because there's bears everywhere in Wyoming? And I know nothing about um, Wyoming, so that's what I just assume. <laughs> yeah, we do have a lot of bears. We do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, we just, we wanted, you know, want something that was kind of, you know, brought you to this place. So it was, you know, ever present, you know, kind of, you know, a Wyoming thing, the grizzly bear. Uh, especially Yellowstone and surrounding area. Um, and we, but we also wanted something that was, you know, very strong and regal. Um, and so um, we flirted around with a couple of different ideas and the grizzly bear just kind of resonated um, over and over again. So, yeah, that, that was kind of, uh, but we also knew, you know, we have, we have two logos, I guess we have the big, the bear that we use and then we kind of have the just our initials yeah um and we interchange them and play around with them and do different things with them um so that you know the customer over time starts to associate you know both with the brewery um and it gives us a lot of freedom and flexibility to play around with it um so i like that in the way the the bears uh drawn or done with clean lines and stuff it like as i'm scrolling through like your instagram it's perfect on everything it's put on Mm. like the that the gray and red hat that is beautiful yeah yeah it's sweet um are you talking about like the felt kind of one yeah yeah it it actually comes out quite well surprisingly because there's some detail um but yeah i mean people love the the bear i mean you know we put it and people love jackson hole i mean i don't have the exact numbers but i can tell you we sell three times as many t-shirts at our pub if they say jackson hole on them as ones that don't huh that's interesting i guess it's like um is it a big tourist area yeah so i I mean that that probably plays into it like i like this shirt i really wanted to say i was in jackson hole because 100%. there was this amazing movie or TV show that mentioned it that someday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to figure out. It's going to come to us at some point here. I don't know. I've yeah. been thinking about it for weeks now, and I can't remember or figure it out. So it's definitely not going to be me that it comes to. Yeah. Um, I'll get it as soon as we hang up. You know, there was I, – I, so Coley Briggs mentioned this, but I was out of work for about a week or so. I had a total fluke accident in the brewery, but I – I watched a ton of movies on Amazon Prime, and I'm now realizing in one of the opening scenes of I Love You, Man with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel, when Paul Rudd is trying to sell Lou Ferrigno's home, Jason Segel's like, why is Lou, uh, why is Lou selling this place? And Paul Rudd's, he bought a house in Jackson Hole. That's it. That is it. <laughs> that is amazing. That is that is absolutely, because wow. it was just kind of like a throwaway call. That That is definitely it, because I love yeah. that movie. <laughs> oh, you got it. It's, it's a great it's a great movie it's a great little moment yes more time in jackson hole yes that is that is 100 percent what i was trying to remember i'm making a note to myself to watch uh i love you man 
It's a great movie. It's great, great movie. Actually, that's just going to go straight into the show notes. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a heavy tourist. I mean, it, we're you, it's 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 dangerous to try and drive your car down uh, through Maine you know, the main square here in Jackson and you're always playing tourist frogger and a restaurant <laughs> opens at 1130 and it's, it's almost fully seated within 15 minutes of, of us opening the doors. You know, we'll be finishing up service talk down there and you can just hear people. It's, it's 1131 and you can just hear someone on the door. <laughs> like, Why aren't you open? It's like, here we go. Give me a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I, that's, um, I've always wondered, so places that are huge touristy areas, do you love the tourists or you hate them? That is a great question. Um, and the answer is we love them. Um, and uh, sometimes I have to grit my teeth and say it. Um, <laughs> but uh, those people put food on our table yeah, they make it they make what you're doing possible they pay our bills they pay a, a special tax here in jackson one penny for every dollar 70 percent of it's funded by tourist dollars um, goes to support um, essentially a pool of money that we all get to vote on on how it's allocated it goes to hospitals it goes to schools it goes oh, to, that's really cool is that wyoming yeah. as a whole or that's a local government that's thing. a Teton county thing okay yeah we are um and i'm not sure if other wyoming counties have it but they might um but my answer is that you know i grew up in a tourist town i grew up lewis rehoboth beach delaware was a yeah. tourist town i remember people used to have bumper stickers that you know were basically like you know low you know locals rule and shit like that and you know and i, I always found that my grandfather told me you know one time he owned a grocery store he's like you know Essentially, you know, don't ever complain about a farmer with your mouth full. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, what he was saying was, you know, essentially the tourism business has supported this family for a long time. So, you know, you need to appreciate it. So, it, you know, it drives me crazy sometimes when I'm driving around and somebody stopped in the middle of the road. And it's like, where the, you know, you can't drive like that anywhere. What makes you think you can drive like that? Um, but that's my answer, Max. What do you no, I, I'd say the same thing. We get to make beer in Jackson Hole, and we get to play. You know, Colby was mentioning why he ended up in Jackson. We're, we're all here for the same reason. We'd love to be outside. We'd love to live the lifestyle we do here in, in the Tetons and ski, fish, raft, paraglide, hike. Yeah, climb. so it's you, probably year-round tourism too, right? It is, up until probably, honestly, the early onset of, of covid related things we, we had very distinct shoulder seasons um mud seasons as we call it and you couldn't you couldn't get a you can dine in in a restaurant if you wanted because the restaurant's just closed it didn't even make sense and that usually was dictated around the ski resort jacksonville mountain resort okay. so you know kind of right in the, the, the fall when kids are back in school up until about thanksgiving and then uh when the mountain closes which is about early april or so um, and then it was just a ghost town and, and all of these folks who make their living in the service industry, which is a vast majority of, of folks here in, in Jackson, uh, they'd go down to the desert, they go down to Moab, they might go home back to the East coast, West coast, wherever, um, you know, and, and town would shut down. But now it's our, we just put our, we just had one of our biggest months ever at the production brewery back in April, which normally we use to shut down and, 
you know, take apart chain conveyors in the brew house and take apart the bottling line, can line, whatever we were running to make sure it was running correctly. And we haven't been able to turn anything off. We've just been rolling. So, um, and that, that might change next year. We'll see. It might just be people are psyched that they can get out of their house and are coming to see us here in Jackson. So, um, yeah, it's pretty full on year round. So as an area that was so dependent on, uh, tourism, how did COVID hurt your operations? Um, it, or was there enough like people getting to go cans that it, it, it kept you in a, in a safe place? Yeah. Our, our canning, our canning went through the roof, right? Because now a lot of it was the draft just got funneled into cans because yeah. draft, the draft world was, you know, was not, was non-existent for quite some time there. Um, our restaurant, we, you know, we closed our restaurant, uh, pretty early on. We were probably, I think the first, uh, kind of business to just kind of make a stance with it and just shut down um, before anything kind of got mandated by the state or the county here. Um, so that was, a little, that was a little spooky, a little scary for sure, tense. Um, and then we pivoted and adapted and did, you know, I'd, I'd say we did very well through the pandemic. I think a lot of that comes down to the team and everyone involved in, in the brewery, you know, sourcing cans, which is just a nightmare still yeah. in, the, in the craft industry. But we, you know, our everyone was calling it all everyone we could and tapping into connections working hard long days just to fill orders and get beer out of out of the brewery um so all in all i mean we're, we're it, we did i'd say pretty well through through all of covid and uh and i recognize we're quite fortunate in that and i know a lot, not a lot of breweries also you know did as well as we did but i don't think you know it it didn't happen just out of coincidence or luck. You know, we, we had a team that really showed up every day and kicked ass to make it happen. Yeah. I have to add that the state of Wyoming did an absolutely, absolutely amazing job supporting local businesses in Wyoming. Um, so the CARES Act, um, just, you know, by way of background a little bit, you know, um, gave money to each state um, that they could kind of spend discretionary money, you know, however they wanted. Well, the minimum that went to each state was 1.25 billion. So, you know, Wyoming with 500,000 people got 1.25 billion and Montana with a million people got the same amount of money. So basically for capital, we got a lot more money than just about any other state in the country. Yeah. Um, the Wyoming legislature got together and said, you know, we've got essentially more money than we could really spend. What do you want to do? between the governor and the legislature, they set up two different funding programs that essentially got money into small business hands um, to repair their gap in revenue or losses that they had suffered over the course of, you know, different periods of time during COVID. And that money came into the brewery, direct dollars, and allowed us to keep our people paid. It allowed us to pay our rent. Um, and it was above and beyond, like it was above and beyond the PPP stuff, which was kind of worthless. And, yeah. you know, this was like, this was real money. Um, so, and they did it pretty quick. That's awesome. That was huge. Yeah. That was huge for Wyoming and for us as a brewery. Yeah. That, that's definitely awesome that they well one that they had the foresight to like come up with an actual plan that was very beneficial to the, the populace and then acted mm -hmm quickly to to do it um but i would i would imagine too 
that shift from a seven barrel brewery to a 30 barrel production place that um distribution weighed heavily into that business model so that probably also set you up in a good place where you had years of building that distribution network to also send beer out into the world yeah we were pretty fortunate um in that we had started moving into states like colorado utah um you know montana um idaho you know years you know it's years prior to the pandemic so we had you know we had established salespeople, we had established accounts we had growing you know on-premise uh and off-premise sales and so when we lost the on-premise and everybody started raiding liquor stores you know we saw kind of um the benefit of of that and uh you know i think if we had been younger in that process if we had been moving into new markets um going into the pandemic we would have suffered much more it would have been harder um i mean look you know it's it's really nice to be good but sometimes it's nice to be lucky so yeah it never frown upon luck (laughs) yeah i think helped too you know in the same vein of, of being in these states and established we you know people knew our product and, and it you know some of our beers became staples for people well before the pandemic and i think at a time when people were also pretty hesitant to take a chance on what they wanted to buy in a grocery store or a liquor store maybe you know yeah i've got ten dollars in my pocket no problem nothing's going on in the world sure i'll try brewery a b and c's ipa over yeah. the course of the week and we we heard it from a bunch of people so i know it's i know i'm sure there's more people who felt the same but some of our flagship beers people just knew they could turn to and grab a six pack of it and they knew exactly what they were getting and just would go back time and time again and we saw it out of our tap room too we were selling cases of beer and we'd have our locals usually would belly up in our tap room and have a pint or two of our ipa and they were coming in buying a case and they were like you know we're uh this this will be good we'll see you guys in about a week or so and sure enough they'd come back like two days later and they were like yeah, i drank a case of your ipa in two days we're like yeah you did all right here you go. <laughs> yeah um it was a one of the larger distributors distributors in this area said that um familiar uh, mainstays were doing well. Like it was the familiar comfort that people were going after and just picking up that like they knew they liked it. They didn't want to think about like add another thing to have to figure out and think about and just grab what they knew was going to be good. So when um when you decided to go from the brew pub to production and the new brew pub was a big part of that it I, I assume you had some capacity uh issues so was it to because you were you couldn't make enough beer but then also that you had this plan for a large expansion yeah it was um we couldn't make enough beer and we couldn't make any money um so we basically got to a point really quickly within the first uh, 18 months, we realized that we could not make enough beer on a system that size 
without having, you know, and the room we had with fermentation and everything else, we were limited and we couldn't expand. We couldn't without blowing out the wall or doing something which was going to cost a fortune. It was just like, essentially what we realized is mechanically, the way that we set this thing up from the beginning, it was doomed to fail. It will never work. Um, so if we're okay with losing money every year on this, <laughs> then it's fine. Let's just keep it going. Um, but, and it, cause it wasn't a lot of money we were losing. It was just some, you know? Um, but if we want to actually make money, we have to change. And if we want to actually, you know, put beer in people's hands outside of our own restaurant, then we have to do something differently as well. So that was really the basis. So it was like, okay, well, if we're going to do something different, then we have to do one of two things. We either have to expand in our existing space or we have to find a new one. And we basically started going down both roads at the same time. When, um, when you built a new place, did you go all in at that time, get a canning line and everything? Or, oh, you said you were bottling at first, right? Correct. Yeah, we, yeah, we went all in. We did it all at once. We got, um, you know, reverse osmosis filtration, um, you know, what we thought was going to be fermentation space for us for a while. Um, that lasted, <laughs> what, six months? Yeah. Um, we uh, had a full bottling line, really nice Leibinger um, bottling line. Um, centrifuge, fully automated centrifuge, centrifuge, an automated CIP skid for dosing our caustic and acids and also recapturing those, uh, augering system. Yeah. Everything for grain us. silos, the whole deal. So <laughs> it, was, it was an attractive brewery to go work for when you had your show around it, interview. <laughs> it was incredible. It was, I blew my mind. I mean, it, you know, and like, you know, I, I think brewery floors, you know, as someone who's now brewed and brewed a lot of different breweries and spent, you know, we have one of the nicest floors ever. It's like one of those beautiful <laughs> cascade red floors, you know, you, you, you scrub it and it comes clean. I mean, it's everything about it was like, holy shit. We've got fooders. We've got a big barrel program. Oh, that is I mean, a bright like, red well, floor. I just found a photo of it. Yeah, yeah, quite quite bright. And there's like a couple spots that are that are not. You know, we left a couple that were just concrete, just polished, finished concrete, and we were like, ah, that's gonna be our staging area someday. And I was like, no, like here, or it's going to be our staging. It's never. It's always just been production floor. Um, so yeah, it was a very attractive brewery to walk into. I definitely picked my job off the floor a couple of times. Of like, holy shit, you've got this and that, and I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 really really an impressive brewery i mean it's it's super, super proud to to show up there every day and show it off to people when they're in town and it it's unbelievable but to be fair you know max walked away from a very established brewery with established distribution and sales as the head brewer just got promoted um the brewmaster yeah the brewmaster um, for, an, you know, so he, he took some risk. Yeah, definitely. I remember, I mean, I told Cole, I remember telling Colby though, like saw it all, you know, had a good idea, you know, cause I, like every brewer, I wanted to start my own brewery and 
started, you know, started talking with Red House and saw this and I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like absolutely a dream for a brewer to see. And we went, we kind of went back and forth and I, I kind of waffled a couple of times and you know, I had to commute and I had, I had left that very, very cushy, stable role. And I remember telling Colby that straight out, I was like, you know, man, like one of my biggest holdups is I'm afraid I'm going to fail. And I think Colby even said to me, he was like, he's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider you to run our brewery if you weren't afraid. And that was reassuring. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's roll. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Well, yeah, fear of failures worked well for me. <laughs> anyway, I would think too, like going through there and seeing how all in they were going, like you had to think like they're dedicated to this. Um, the only way this is going south is if it crashes and burns spectacularly. <laughs> big time, big time, you know, and, and Colby and, and Gavin are, are, you know, both very good at what they do other than Roadhouse. And I didn't really know Colby coming into it. I, I didn't really know Gavin either, but I knew of Gavin because he owns restaurants, which are very public things. And just knowing that I was going to work for two people and then getting to know Jody as well. So called three people that, you know, would <laughs> would go down with the ship until like they were too far with it. You know, like there was no way this was, <laughs> was no way this was going to stop or fail. Or it was, uh, it's it's been a really killer ride. Definitely have had to grow up a lot really fast. It's been a exponential <laughs> growth and development for for myself and, and i know a lot of other folks who work with us as well so um colby we should say congratulations that semi-recently you were added to the board of directors for the brewers association yep correct um yeah that was cool kind of a kind of a surprise really um not a surprise in the sense that I applied for it, but a surprise because it there the position only became available because Joe Biden got elected and one of the board members stepped away to be part of his administration. Oh, did you fill um, Julie's spot? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who I don't know, but I'm happy to take her seat. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Julie is an amazing person. Okay. Uh, she's she's been a guest a couple times. Uh, Sweet. Her brewery is probably 40 minutes from where I live. But uh, great, great person. That's a cool connection. I did I didn't know that. I had to, yeah. I I had for, completely forgotten about how she was on the board and would have had to whenever she was appointed to. Something with small businesses. Correct. I think the small yeah, business, uh, whatever that part is. Uh, she was appointed to that and I guess had to step away from the brewing world for a little bit. Because she's um, been great and instrumental in helping with getting... Uh, Maryland used to have some really screwy laws that pertain to breweries. So she was very active in getting a lot of that changed a few years ago. So yeah, how how does that process work? Like, so you apply, and then do the members vote on who's who's elected to it, or yeah, you know, I to be, I, I wish I had a better answer for you. I don't really know. <laughs> um, the I I was contacted. I think I was nominated because I had applied for the position in the past, 
and because a couple of the board members um, I know and and well and I'll yeah so somebody uh, I know who it was but I'm gonna not embarrass him nominated me and um, and then I got a phone call um, that essentially said you've been nominated along with uh, you know three or four other people and uh, so you need to submit you know answers to these questions and do a video thing and you know have it all in in three days this is what the ba does fucking every time it, it drives me crazy but it's like you know we need all of this information from you in 48 hours um, so so i was in mexico i was with took my family down to mexico so i just like took my phone out did like a one minute hey i'm colby cox you know roadhouse brewing company blah 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 sent it in sent in the answers thinking this you know probably isn't going to happen because i didn't really put much effort in and then two weeks later i got a phone call saying you've been elected so i don't know who elected me whether it was the board or what well someone did and congratulations <laughs> yes yeah, so i have my first board meeting coming up um which will be very fascinating given um, some of the recent events in, in the craft beer world. Yes. So we are, uh, we are going to spend some time talking about that. And you're a member at large. Is that right? Or is it, what's your role on the board? Um, again, great question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's member at large, right? Or okay. yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, because I think that's what Julie was. Yeah, member at large. I think I'm a me I'm a member um, as both a brew pub owner and a production brewery owner. But okay. I I don't know which. Yeah. Which one got you on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will find all this out when I get there. Um, and I don't get me wrong. Um, my lack of information right now has nothing to do with my lack of interest or motivation to, you know, support and provide as much um, positive impacts on the Brewers Association as I can. Um, but this all happened very recently. And so, oh, and, and life's been a little crazy for the past year. <laughs> yeah. It's been a little crazy. Um, and it just got crazier. I mean, you know, like, you know, not to, bring it up again but i mean to to get just right on the heels of covid and then all of a sudden having you know a complete flare-up in the industry of you know issues you know related to sexual harassment and things like that that are you know now kind of the epicenter the focus of what's going on is just i mean it's it's uh it's been a trying time for craft beer yeah, that is. Um, I, I I was going to reach out and do an episode, um, but I decided I wanted to wait a little while because uh, mm -hmm. one, I didn't want to add another thing for <clears throat> any of the people heavily involved in to worry about or even bother them with it now. And I kind of felt like it was also like it would be better to have that conversation once things die down a little bit. That in the heat of everything may not be the best time. And like waiting till it the the initial reaction dies down have those conversations to kind of keep it moving it forward 
instead of just piling on because i mean everyone's writing articles and reaching out for interviews and stuff now i felt like waiting would be a better approach yeah you know i commend you for that um i think that's kind of been uh you know roadhouse's attitude towards all of this has been a little bit like um you know we have a female ceo we have you know female heads of most of our departments with the exception really of max um we don't really feel like um it's in we're in a good position to to comment one way or the other so we've kind of opted to not say anything we've felt a little awkward in that at the same time because you know it's in today's world sometimes it feels like by not saying something people are saying that you're saying something yeah um and so we kind of feel a little bit and i think a lot of breweries do feel a little stuck between a rock and a hard place um so we're adopting a similar mentality which is we're gonna kind of wait and see uh what's going on and try to get as many facts as we can and make an assessment and you know uh, but i got i'll get you know plenty educated on you know i honestly i don't know any of the you know of the story i haven't of the stories that are out there that are um creating a lot of headlines you know i can't really claim to be extremely educated on the facts um and so um i will get a lot more facts i believe when i'm in you know meeting with the ba and a lot of education because i think we're going to be doing a lot of training on um equity diversity and inclusion yeah um and and a sad part of it is too like the focus is on craft beer right now but it's really not that different in a lot of other industries not like it's a it's a problem that needs to be fixed uh in a in a much larger sense but it's good that especially from reading some of the atrocities that have happened in some of these breweries it is it's a very good thing that these stories have come to light and some of those um the worst offenders have been ousted out of the the industry at this point so at least has been positive change in some some instances now i also think it's you know it's easy in in situations like this to make these broad assertions that you know let's say you know because of these incidents you know this entire industry must be wrought with this issue and this entire industry needs a complete overhaul and i just don't believe that yeah and and i mean and then you would have to say like the entire world because like yeah. i said it it happens in every industry and there are plenty of breweries where like that doesn't happen um 100%. and it's 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 a shame that sometimes that the atrocities of a few kind of get attributed to everywhere where, but I think in a, in a way it is good that it, it draws enough attention that cause some, some of these people, they weren't, they wouldn't have stepped away from their breweries without this happening. Like if, if there wasn't such a spotlight, they would still be doing what they've been doing for sometimes a decade uh without a reckoning time but yeah yeah, it's it's 
I think it's a big problem, but I don't think it's like a, every brewery has this issue. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I do not like words like systematic. Yeah. Um, you know, that we have as an industry, you know, there's a lot of stuff people are putting out there right now. It's like as an industry, we need to it's like, hold on a second. You know, I know how we're running our brewery and I'll hold that up to whatever fucking magnifying lens you want to, you know, and um, I don't need Roadhouse doesn't need anything from you, you know, yeah. and there are a lot of breweries out there that are doing the right thing. So, you know, it, and, and frankly, I think oftentimes it's the people screaming the loudest about. I'm sorry, and change needs to happen in the industry that are the ones that need to point the fucking finger at themselves. Oh, I've seen statements made by some breweries that definitely should swing around and look in a mirror. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, people could listen to this podcast and they could, you know, take whatever exception to my comments they would like, but, um, you know, I, I stand strongly behind Roadhouse and what we've done and, and I'm proud to serve on the board and I will serve at the board's discretion. Um, but I think there's a lot of breweries out there doing the right thing. And I think there's a few breweries out there that are giving those breweries a bad name. Yeah. And I, I, and I think, I think that's a natural response to feel like to when, if when you are running a brewery and you've gone out of your way and not even out of the I mean it's I don't think that's the right way to say it like where you're just good people <laughs> like you sh- it's not really going out of your way to be a good person but you've yeah. like you've done the right things you treat people with respect and you're just a good person like you it's it's hard to not feel attacked when everyone is just lumping everyone together yeah. And especially when he when he added, like some people are saying, silence is just as bad. But then there's also the message that as a man, you shouldn't be talking right now. You should be listening. So it's like you're it, it's it's if you are doing the right thing, it's kind of hard to know what you should be doing right now. Other yeah. than just keep doing the right thing doing what you're doing i mean if you're doing the right thing just keep doing what you're doing like the only thing i've said previously was as a man it's really it's a really easy thing to approach one don't sexually harass or abuse women or two if you see it stop it like as a man those are really the only two things you have to do like just Mm -hmm. don't do it and if you happen to see someone doing it stop it yeah um i think it's uh well let's just say this i i think there will be i will have more to say about this topic um as things continue so i'm following it closely yeah i would i would assume that the that's going to be a very very uh high up uh tick mark for what the brewers association wants and rightfully so it should be something to to make sure that they're paying attention to yeah they hold themselves to a high standard i've I've seen it already i mean they you know they want to take a leading role on this topic um so 
So how um how long is the term for when you're on? Because it's it's a term limit, right? Yeah, I think uh, because I'm stepping into somebody else's shoes, I think I have like 22 months. Okay. So, uh, and then I think I can be reelected. Um, I just don't know um, for how many terms, like, you know, whether it's one additional term or what, but I, yeah. So another so. question I had was what, um, what are the trends in craft beer in Wyoming? Do they follow the coasts or, I mean, I guess actually in the middle of the country, a lot of the trends are the same where it's all hazy IPAs and sour, heavily fruited sours, or is it more, cause it seems like you, you're much more in a traditional styles brewery. Is that the, that the, just the statute, like where you, fit because even around here there are like very successful breweries that they they'll occasionally brew uh your more hype beers but do a great job just producing like classical styles or more traditional um or is that just not really popular in that area i would say that um you know Coming full circle back to tourist-based uh, town here, we see we see everyone from everywhere. So we can at our brew pub brew the most ridiculous thing ever, and someone's gonna love it because it's a ridiculously hyped-up thing. Or, you know, we we made a beer where I bought like thirty pounds of watermelon sour patch kids and just jumped on that train for a hot second. It was like one of the fastest beers we've sold out of. Uh -huh. you know, like we it was gone. Watermelon sour with sour patch kids. Um but at the same time we've got a really beautiful whole flower, very traditional Hellas on tap. And there's a place for that as well. Um so I think we're it's a Jackson is an enigma in the state of Wyoming because we have all those tourists and there's very adventurous people, people who are down to drink a guava IPA that's radiating pink. And, um, but frankly, if you get anywhere outside of the town of Jackson, you're, you're getting pretty Bud Light, Coors Light, heavy country. Um, and that's been a big mission for us as a company is to try and, you know, continue to educate the state of Wyoming in the consumer base here that, you know, I believe I drink a lot of yellow beer. I'm very open about that. I love crushing Miller Lite in the summer. I drink a lot of Coors Banquet. Um, but there's more to it than just those beers. Um, it's not wrong if that's the only beer you think. But, you know, we do stick to some pretty traditional styles of beer. Family vacation. Um, it's, it's gone through a couple of identity crises. It was a blonde ale. It was a cream ale. Um, we've kind of retooled it to be a golden ale. And that's a really popular beer for us in the state. It's a very approachable very light, easy gateway, 5% beer that might bring someone in a small town in Wyoming, you know, into our life as Roadhouse because they were able to try this beer and it, you know, resonated with them. And we make a very traditional Pilsner too, that highway man. And that does it for us as well. We, you know, I, I love to challenge people who sit down at our, at our bar and say, give me a Bud Light. And it's like, how would I give you this? And if you don't like it, you know, I'll buy you your Bud Light and most of the time people are, are really psyched to try something different, pretty stylistically classic. Um, I don't think we're against hype and gimmick and that kind of stuff, but I think we all 
you know, something I'm really proud of is that we brew at the at the big brewery at our, you know, the production facility. The beer we brew there is the beer that we all genuinely like to drink. And I think we all love the expression of big, bold hops. Our commitment to the hop community is pretty high, too, as I mentioned, being in the Hop Quality Group and the Hop Research Council and the, the connections we have with the hop growers. So we, we make really big, bold, hoppy beers, but they're all balanced. Um, walrus is fruited, you know, our double hazy double IPA it does have some tangerine and peach puree into it, but not enough that if we, if you left it sit outside, uh, the can might explode. You know, we, we ferment it out and we use the salt and pepper to give a little accent to that beer. So, uh, it's, it's also yeah. subtle. Um, yeah, I, I, like I could tell there was something there, but I couldn't actually discern it until I read it. And then I was like, oh yeah, I definitely taste that. So it's, it's a nice subtle flavor addition to it. Definitely. Definitely. We, we definitely go for balance. You know, we want people to buy a six pack and, and really enjoy drinking through that six pack, you know, maybe in a night. It's one of our lower alcohol beers, you know, and someone crushes a six pack of our 4% Pilsner. Like that's, that's a win for us. You know, we want that balance. We want, want people to come back to it because i can't tell how many times i've had a big gimmick typed up style of beer and i'm just like oh like i couldn't drink a whole yeah make it like halfway through it (laughs) yeah it's it's really cool but you know that's that's not necessarily what we are all about um at least when it comes to canning the beers we we do breath and bramble sounds really good though ras the raspberry and lemon sour yeah, Who? that is um, that's that's gonna be a really fun one coming up here, uh, real soon. Who um who does the uh, pairs with suggestions? Because I like how you have that listed for all your beers. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, you... I write I write the copy. Um, so I write these that kind of in, info on the side, and then the beer description. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I enjoy that. So, um, I like it when we, when we create a new beer, cause then I get to do some new stuff. What does the outcasty beer do? What does it do? Yeah. Cause it, it's, um, like the notes, the 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 um walrus it says this beer growls knocks grunts and barks ah. what mm. what are the notes for outcasty i can't remember what they yeah, are that was not a fair question because you have a lot of beer <laughs> <laughs> i just it's like i uh, and sloths are cool so i just thought it probably it probably has a cool thing on it yeah that's a pretty uh that's a pretty fun beer we let that one rest this year um yeah we literally my hands and a lot of our staff's hands turn orange from all the sweet potatoes that we we literally ordered a pallet of sweet potatoes like 2,000 pounds from uh, like you know an equivalent of like Cisco or US Foods yeah and uh, she's peeled and roasted and mashed and it was intense um yeah, I think the cop. I think the notes, if I have this right, on Alcasti says it may lead to spending nights in bars, glasses tinkling. <laughs> um, so, whoops, where am I here? Um, 
Yeah, so that's another, you know, yet another fish reference. <laughs> when, um, how long, how long ago did you get into doing seltzers? Also, um, we've only canned maybe two or three runs of it. Um, so it was only this this spring, really. Okay. Um, yeah, that was uh, we started brewing those first test batches of our hard seltzer up at the brew pub, um, maybe about eighteen months ago. Um, Colby and Gavin, myself, um, Jody, our, our director of marketing, Molly, the the six of us or five of us sat downstairs. We've got this pretty cool eclectic cellar in the basement of the, the, the brewery that's got like neon lights and black lights and really rare beer. And we do our best thinking down there. And, and we all came to the table with a, every seltzer we could buy in Jackson. And we started drinking through them and, and we, we all kind of went back and forth like, like, you know, like, fuck yeah, this is something we're going to do. And then there was days where it was like, fuck no, we're not going to do this. Like, <laughs> absolutely not and then finally we we decided we were going to do it and um every time every time i hear a brewery like want to take the moral stance of not making seltzer i just ask them if they like money i 100 (laughs) percent um it was one of the hardest things i've definitely done do you feel like being asked for the next two three four years why you don't make a seltzer by every person you bump up in against on the street i mean it's like which then could be followed up with, why don't you like money? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, it was a hard one for us um, because we, you know, definitely consider ourselves beer geeks. And, um, you know, this wasn't a beer geek product, you know, in my eyes. So I was probably one of the ones that was more opposed to it than probably anybody. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but do you like money? <laughs> but I like money. Um, I especially like getting money back um, <laughs> that we've spent. And so, um, no, I also, we wanted to do it um, under the Roadhouse name, but we wanted to give it its own look, its own brand, um, so that it was separate and distinct, so that people didn't just look at it like a Roadhouse malt beverage product. You know, they, they, saw it as you know a different category and you know but i think we did a good job i think you know i think the i think mac i think the product itself is pretty good i'm not a huge seltzer drinker but when i have one uh i i like the flavors to be a little more subtle and a little less like in your face and i think this this you know seltzy does that so well and i think they're nice from the standpoint of like there are a lot of beer geeks that have friends or significant others that do not like beer. So now, or can't drink beer for any number of reasons and they drink seltzers. So there's now friends and significant others are more willing to go to a brewery to, and have something to drink. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll do brewery tours and inevitably, um, Inevitably, the, you know, the, let's say 10 people, you know, seven of them will all be like, yeah, give me, you know, Wilson IPA, give me this, give me that, whatever. There'll be two or three that are like, I don't drink beer. I'm just here because these other people are here and they're dragging me on this brewery tour. Um, and I'm like, well, 
would you like to try one? And one or two might want to try one. And the other one's just like, I hate beer. I don't like beer. <laughs> you know, like, all right. Well, how about a seltzer? It's like, oh my God. And then all of a sudden they're like having a good time. Cause they're just got as something. excited as everyone else. Yeah. So it has, its, you know, it has its place and, um, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, um, I think, you know, more than anything, the world of seltzer has just opened my eyes to, I think, you know, kind of what is possible in craft, you know, like what, like what are the products that craft breweries are going to be making in like five or 10 years, you know, cause this is kind of like, this didn't exist three years ago. Right. Or three, four years ago. It's, yeah, It's not been a long time. Well, now with smoothie yeah. seltzers. Have you had a smoothie oh seltzer yet? <laughs> Smooch. Smooch. Uh, well, they may not get to call it that much longer. Really? Well, there. I mean, there's a very popular brewery in Pennsylvania that has a trademark lawsuit with them against right against them right now because they um, they've been making heavily fruited smoothie sours named called smoogies for a much longer time. And they also make seltzers, so they've and then Smooths just recently started distributing in Pennsylvania, so now there's a standing trade trademark battle. So I mean, maybe the who knows who will, who will win, but yeah, so stuff like that. Like I had one, I was at a sour festival a couple um, weekends ago, and like I had one early in the morning, and it was basically just the same as like a breakfast smoothie. i've been told i gotta try that sounds like an awesome hangover drink it probably would be because like there's no taste of alcohol in it all you can taste is the fruit puree um so it gives you that little bit of hair of the dog without actually tasting any of the alcohol yeah i just don't like how we can just put a ton of fruit puree into something and just say smoothie seltzer and we're supposed <laughs> to agree that it's a seltzer like yeah i drink our seltzer because it's bone dry crisp yeah and i can hug one yeah not these ones i mean well, if i put a bunch of fruit puree in my soda stream yeah am i just making smoothie smoothie soda. seltzer water yeah <laughs> and it's crazy too because i guess in pennsylvania you have to have the caloric the nutritional information on mm. seltzers so those smoothie seltzers are 320 calories. Oh. Again, <laughs> one and done. <laughs> one and done. So they kind hey, of Mama, they kind of throw that. Uh, what's that? I said, if I'm going to pound one of those, it better be like nine percent alcohol. Yeah, and I, I think they're also low alcohol. I five uh, percent maybe. Yeah, they're definitely not high. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the world we live in now. <laughs> sure is have you had and i've i've mentioned this multiple times lately people are probably sick of me saying it but like have you used prickly pear in anything because a prickly pear mm. seltzer tastes phenomenal mm. we um <laughs> there's only i think oh, about 26 breweries on in the wyoming brewers guild um and we just brewed our most recent like kind of guild collaboration 
Um, it's not very feasible for us to like get together and like do a collab because people are damn near on the other side of the state, which is like an eight hour drive, you know, of, of there's three breweries here in Jackson and, you know, the three of us are the top three largest producers. So selfishly, we, you know, we've done collabs here in Jackson in the past, but I, I, that's digressing. The, we did a wheat beer and we've each, we've asked each brewery to select their own fruit. And I think I'm doing prickly pear. It is phenomenal in beer. Yeah. Just something different. It looks fun. It's an ingredient I've wanted to play with. Sounds cool, too. Yeah, it's fun to say. Alliteration is cool. Like I said. <laughs> Makes me think of Blue from uh, The Jungle Book. Right? Wasn't he a big prickly pear guy? Mm. Bear yeah. in the Jungle Book? I think and you're right. Recently got a Disney Plus uh, account, so my wife and I have been rewatching. <laughs> they pay you to say that? No, they do. It's not a sponsored or paid advertisement. <laughs> Hashtag uh, sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. So, blues on my mind. It's prickly pear blue. Yeah, for sure. I just finished watching the uh, Mighty Ducks series. That's uh, those are great. For my my kids love them, but for some reason refuse to watch the original movies. I. But I, I've learned that there's no rhyme or reason to what they do and don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like, if you like cheese pizza, why don't you like pepperoni pizza when I take the fucking pepperonis off? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good example. I, I feel like you have lived through that. Yeah. <laughs> I too have had that because one kid <laughs> insists on. One of them wants pepperoni pizza. The other one insists on cheese. But for some reason, there has to be two pizzas because it can't yeah. possibly just be pepperoni removed. They can't touch. <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, was there anything that you guys wanted to cover that I haven't touched on? I just think it's awesome what you're doing, man. And, Thank you. And um, spreading the word, getting people... Um, engaged and uh you know i really appreciate being a part of it so thank you you know i always think about these things too like if i won an oscar you know and i had a couple seconds to, to get out there <laughs> uh, it's really come to light for me as of late we, we we've promoted some people within the brewery we've people want more we've got this amazing amazing team and you know we touched on this at the beginning of it where the passion is there for us and we've seen a lot of people not succeed working for us in our brewery because the passion wasn't there to just bite the bullet and recognize that if you want to work at a brewery, you're going to scrub a floor for 10 hours and maybe you'll be able to brew for an hour. Um, and so I just, I, I, it's great that Colby and I have been able to sit here, have a really fun, good conversation while there's other people, this amazing team behind us that believes in us and we believe in them. Um, so I just, I always love to give a big shout out to the, our team uh, because Roadhouse is, is the epitome of a team. You know, we, we wouldn't be where we were without everyone who does everything they do. Well, if I, if I ever find myself in Jackson Hole, I will definitely stop by. Um, I don't know how soon that would happen, but... <laughs> well, <laughs> that, yeah. It might be a Do tough you know? sell to the two, uh, the two women in this house that run everything. <laughs> <laughs> Do you make it to some of the events like CBC and... GABF and stuff like that or it's it's been I've been to 
CBC. It's been a little while. I want to start going to those things more often than I have in the past. Okay. Uh, it's always a great place to meet up with people like common yeah. ground. So, yeah, I well, need if you to, find, if you find yourself, you know, headed that way, let us know. Cause we'll, um, you know, we usually do pint nights and different events around town and things like that. So love to hang. Well, hopefully so. they'll have it in DC again. Cause then that's, ridiculously convenient for me which i yeah. believe it it does rotate through dc every so many years right or am i think or was it just that one time no dc is a great venue for it so gavin is is heavily involved in a lot of stuff that happens with saber okay um and so we 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 learned over a, a series of beers and whiskeys one night that the 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 BA does enjoy uh, DC. It's just set up well for, for anything, any large yeah. gathering that, you know, just the nature of, of the nation's capital. So yeah, just so a, this time. area is just built for moving people in and out. Yeah. Big time, big time. But, but yeah, if you ever do make it to Jackson, you gotta let us know beer beers and, uh, and really good food will be on us and, you know, we'll get out. If you ski, come out and ski with us. If not, we'll do some rafting and biking you know, in the summer. So, Put so it on your list. I used to, to really enjoy snowboarding and I always did that. And I tried skiing once with my wife and I made it halfway down. I took the skis off through them and then retrieved them and walked out the rest of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once you, once you snowboard, you can't go back. Yeah. I like, like snowboarding came so naturally to me too. It was very easy. And I, for the life of me could not even make it like a halfway down the hill. And it was the, like the training like, where all the kids were practicing on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Well, sorry for the technical difficulties at the beginning there. Oh um, no, no problem. Cause the, the, the second half went perfect or well, actually way more than the second half. It was only a little bit in the beginning. Um, but yeah, so for future reference, if you do this again, anywhere, definitely use Colby's laptop. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Um, well, cool, man. Yeah. Thank you gentlemen so much for, uh, your time. Um, and, uh, thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.